time just drifts away and as i look back on the years memories of happiness and bitter tears through it all there was a common thread that cannot be ignored you were there teaching me to be your servant lord joy and pain had a reason of its own now i realize that i am not alone oh the changing seasons of my life were not left up to chance lord i know you were working to in the church study. We just had two weeks of it. Last week, of course, we dealt with congregational singing, and we noted from Second Chronicles chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, that that kind of music, that kind of singing promotes unity and awareness. Excuse me, oneness, excuse me. Awareness too, but oneness. Unity and oneness. Also, it prepares hearts to meet God. We said also that it pleases God. Four, we said it places us in His presence. And finally, we said that that kind of singing promises blessing. 
And so we noted that. We talked about congregational singing. This week, we want to note Christ-honoring music and ask ourselves a couple questions. I mean, things like, what are we to sing? Um, and, and just ask a couple of questions, maybe dig into the Bible a little bit and get an idea of, of kind of the direction we ought to go with music and what it is that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we'll talk about that for just a few moments. Now, I want you to take your Bible, turn over to the book of Psalm, chapter 98, beginning in verse 1. We're going to begin reading there. But we noted last week how the gospel story began basically with a hymn of praise. It was on the lips of the heavenly host when they said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. I mean, they, there was a heavenly host proclaiming the word of God and lifting up the, the name of the Lord. I mean, we saw that, that uh, at the Last Supper, the Lord Jesus Christ, they sang a hymn. I mean, that was important. They sang a hymn. Paul and Silas, in the midst of prison, were singing hymns. And that's amazing, really, when you think about it, isn't it? And then we saw that uh, throughout, whether it be Ephesians, Colossia, uh, Colossians, or wherever it might be, we're to sing uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, all that stuff. And so we noted quite a few things about singing last week as we discussed congregational singing. Now, again, as we said today, we want to note... Christ honoring music and consider it. So let's look at Psalm chapter 98. We'll take our lesson message from that passage. Psalm chapter 98, beginning in verse 1. And the Bible says, O sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly shewed in the sight of the heathen. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the voice of a psalm. With trumpets and sound of cornet, make a joyful noise before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. Excuse me. Be joyful together before the Lord. For he cometh to judge the earth. With righteousness shall he judge the world and the people with equity. So we have a tremendous passage here in the book of Psalms. And of course, when you consider the book of Psalms and you, you think about music, you can't help but go right there. I mean, David, of course, and other psalmists, they wrote these for the purpose of elevating, exalting, and magnifying the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the, the God of Israel. And so we, we see that and we note that here in the passage. We're going to talk about Christ on our music. I think we have a pattern being outlined for us here. We see some things taking place and being exhorted to do some things a certain way for a certain purpose. And so tonight, let's take just a look at some things. I want to get right into it. First of all, I want to consider the content of Christ honoring music. The content of Christ honoring music. We're going to honor Christ with our music. What, are, what should it be about? I mean, what are we to sing? And that's important. We need to know and do that properly. So let's pray and we'll continue. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for this time together. Lord, we don't have a lot of time, but what time we do have, we certainly want to honor you and glorify you with it. Thank you for the music tonight, the choir, and Lord, just the special. And Father, the congregational singing, Lord, we thank you for that. Obviously, as we learned last week, Lord, we know that it prepares our hearts. It readies us, Father, for the, for the, the, the preaching of the Word of God. It, it opens up our minds and it opens up our hearts and our spirit, Father, to receive exactly what you have for us. Now, Lord, tonight, may you be glorified. May you take the Word of God and truly plant it deep in our heart that Satan would not be able to come along and steal it from us. Father, we pray you put a hedge of protection about us. Now, Father, fill me with your spirit. Lord, may I speak those things which will please you. 
Father, may I be filled in a way that, Father, the Word of God can go forth and be un, uh, <clears throat> uninhibited, Lord, that it can honestly accomplish what it was intended to. You promised, Lord, that it would never return void. So, Lord, we're just going to claim your promise tonight. And may you anoint every listening ear. May we hear with spiritual ears. And may, Father, we learn tonight. Father, this is important tonight, what we're learning. So valuable. Because it does apply not only to the church, but it applies to our life every day. Help us, Father, to be very careful to honor you with our music. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Although this is music in the church, Christ honoring music, the fact is, is that all our music ought to honor Christ. Not just that which is in the church, but every aspect, every part of our life. Some people get the idea that there's like different places and different things. So, okay, when I'm here, I can listen to this. And when I'm here, I can listen to that. Um, when, when I'm at church, you got to be careful because that's God's house. But when I'm in my house, well, it's a whole new ball game. It's one thing what I listen to in front of my children. It's another thing what I listen to in the car by myself on the way to work. Oh, I see. Well, wait a second. I thought that music was music. I didn't think it mattered whether it was at home or whether it was at school, whether it was on an iPad, iPod, or whatever it might be. I didn't know that it mattered whether it was in the confines of a a church building or whether it was in my home or where it might be. I thought that music was music. And if uh, music is either Christ-honoring or it is fleshly, then obviously we need to be very concerned and very careful as believers that our music is Christ-honoring everywhere we go. And in every circumstance and situation we're in. So what's the content of Christ honoring music? What's the content? What are we to sing? In verses 1 through 3, we learn a couple of things. First of all, we see God's greatness. Our music uh, ought to address God's greatness. In verse 1, the Bible simply said, Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. We'll stop right there. First of all, notice that new song. He says, for he hath done marvelous things. I don't think God has ever done anything greater, at least for me, than giving me a new song. Now, again, he's done greater things for the world and for the universe, obviously. But when it comes to me, when I think about myself, when I get selfish for just a few minutes, I can't tell you one other thing that Jesus Christ did for me than to give me a new song that lights my fire anymore. Man, what a great thing God did for me. Notice, if you would, in the book of Psalm, chapter 40, verse 1 through 3, the psalmist, once again, David here, reflects again on his day. And he's he's talking about what God did for him. And boy, I tell you, if God hasn't done this for you, you need to get it settled and you need to take care of business. Notice what he says in the book of Psalm, chapter 40, verse 1 through 3. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me, and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings, and hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Someone says, I'm not a singer. I don't really have a song in my heart. Well, then you want to know what you're really missing? God. God puts the song in the heart. Did you see that? It wasn't you mustering up some emotion. It's not you trying to figure out how to sing. It's not you taking lessons on how to have your vibrato just perfect and your intonation flawless. No, it's about God doing something supernatural in your life. Supernatural in my life. Putting a song in my heart and in your heart. Man, when He puts that song in our heart, we may not have a voice at all. We may have laryngitis, but our heart is singing unto the God of creation because he has put a new song 
in our heart, in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. What a wonderful thing. God's so great, so good to do that for us. Again, this wasn't the old song of the world that was in us. It's not that of the flesh. It's not that of the devil. This is a new song of grace. Hope and salvation are this new song. Not only that, but in the passage he goes on, as we said, and hath done marvelous things. See, that's the testimony of his people Israel. That God had done marvelous things. We think about Israel coming out of Egypt. We think about the Red Sea providing manna in the wilderness and, and just the, the rock uh, being struck and, uh, struck and water coming forth. There you go. I'll get it out sooner or later. But the fact is, is that we think about those marvelous things that he had done. At least we as God's people will see those as marvelous things if our mind's not been polluted with the lies of Satan. In the book of Psalm, turn there again, chapter 78, verse 12. Notice again as he lists some of these things. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers, you'll notice, in chapter 78, verses 12 through 16. <clears throat> Again, marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to stand as a heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink out of, his, out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Man, God's greatness. When we start thinking about, we start thinking about what it is we ought to be singing about. I mean, what am I supposed to sing about? You ought to sing about God's greatness. You say, well, there's so many other things I could sing about. You need to include that one. You need to get that one in there. Over in the book of Psalm, chapter 118, 21 through 23, says, I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused has become the head of the, of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Man, I don't know. You may not be getting too excited about what God did for Israel, but you can get excited about what God did for you. Man, God's great to do those great things for you. Revelation 15, 3, the Bible says, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Again, there, even in the Revelation, as we move toward the end of so-called time, as we draw nigh to the, the, the time of uh, the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ, there'll be those saints in heaven crying out and singing the greatness of God, His marvelous works. Being reminded once again of how grander God is. Again, the passage goes on to say, His right hand and His holy arm have gotten Him the victory. Well, no one, no one can compete with God's power or strength, can they? No one. Now again, we don't always believe that. We, we know it in our head, but in our heart we struggle with that sometimes. Sometimes we look at obstacles in our life and we think to ourselves, there's no way in the world I can overcome that. Well, that's the one thing you got right. You can't. But God can. So often we find ourselves discouraged or down or dis dismayed all because we feel there's something that is beyond our ability. And unfortunately, if we're not careful, even as believers, we feel it's even beyond God's ability. How many times have we talked to a loved one or a friend maybe and felt like, oh, they'll never trust Christ. They're too far gone. You ever feel that way? But what about the God of heaven that created all things? Marvelous are His works. His greatness is so beyond ours. 
How dare we even imply that He could not when we know, biblically, scripturally, He can. No one can compete. It's like a celestial arm wrestling match. God wins every time. He never comes in second. He's always first place. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We sing songs like, Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Man, that's a great song to sing. That's a good song. We ought to get those kind of songs in our heart. Someone says, boy, those are old, they're outdated, they're antiquated. That's all right. They certainly sing about the greatness of God, that's for sure. I'm not opposed to new songs. I like songs. We could even call them contemporary songs. That means modern. I write songs, so I write contemporary songs. Modern songs. Of course, you've never heard my songs, but they're wonderful. (laughs) But they'd be considered contemporary. So there's nothing wrong with new songs. That's not the problem. But what's the content? In this particular case, the greatness of God. When we sing songs of triumph, let us reflect on those times that God has rescued us from our dangers from sickness, from our mental anguish, from our troubles and our trials, may we lift our voice to the greatness of God. Not only the greatness of God, but God's grace. In verse 2, he goes on to say, He's made known His salvation. Well, salvation is by what? Grace through faith. There is no salvation without grace. And so we find God's grace. Spurgeon comments, The Lord is to be praised not only for effecting human salvation but also for making it known. For man would never have discovered it for himself. You realize that? I'm always amazed. There are some folks that feel like they they track God down somehow. They heard about Him and they, they found their way to Him. That's not true at all. God tracked you down. God finally put you in an arm bar and made you say, Uncle. Now, I know, honestly, we have to make a decision and a choice. But I promise you this. You didn't find Him. He found you. You didn't seek Him. He sought you. No man seeketh after God, the Bible says. And the truth is, is that God sought us all. That song says, He came to me. He came to me. When I... You know the song. That was a little high to start with there. We got there, though. I just bit my lip because I was trying so hard to get there. But nonetheless, we see that's the case. So, so we, we've got God's grace and we're to sing about it. We say, wonderful grace of Jesus. Well, that's a great one, isn't it? I know somebody says, well, man, you know, that's an old song. Let's get something new. That's fine. Write something new that honors God, that speaks of His grace. Next, the psalmist says that God has revealed His righteousness. He reveals His righteousness. And, you know, the fact is, is that God's a holy God. I mean, that's something that we forget sometimes. Do you know how often, I mean, honestly, I'm just going to be transparent. I've gone to God in prayer sometimes, and there's known sin in my life, and I get off my knees, and I go about my business, and there's things that I have not confessed and dealt with, and I somehow feel God's still responsible to answer my prayers. I've done that. I'm not going to lie to you. 
I know there's something God wants me to deal with. I know there's a feeling or an attitude or an outlook that's not that's contrary to God and His Word. And I say, I'm not letting it go. I have a right to feel the way I feel. And I go to God in prayer and I say, God, bless me and bless my wife, be and my family. God, bless the ministry. Give us souls for our labor. Oh, God. Oh, God. The whole time he's going, oh, me. God's holy. And when we finally figure that out and we really get a hold of that truth, it will transform our attitude and actions toward a holy God and righteous Savior. It'll transform our lives. I mean, all this stuff that we excuse in our lives. You ever find yourself excusing things? Well, that's no big deal. I mean, that's that's nothing. I mean, I didn't kill nobody. I mean, okay, so so I, I maybe looked at things I shouldn't look at, but I didn't commit adultery at least. Whoa, 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 wait a second. Is he a righteous, holy God or isn't he? Yes, amen. How are we supposed to worship a holy God if we're so filthy? Well, it's different. God just accepts us the way we are. He accepted you when you got saved and said, you know what, I'll deal with your sin, but I want you to live sanctified, separated, and holy unto me. That's a decision you make. I don't make you separated unto me. You choose to do that. I separated you from your sin unto myself in salvation. But now you have to sanctify yourself in the world in which you live. We get this all mixed up. We act like it's all God's business. Oh, oh, by the way, brother Josh, you can live however you want. When God's ready, he'll sanctify you. Just wait on God. Keep praying. God sanctify. Take this feeling away from me. Don't let me lust. Don't let me feel these feelings. I don't want to have to just, I don't want my desires to be about, you know, materialism. I, I don't, I don't want to focus after pride and arrogance. I don't want to do all that, Lord. Just help me. But until then, I'll just keep acting the way I am. Holy God. He's waiting on you. He's already holy. He's already given you every opportunity. You're dead to who you used to be. You're alive unto Christ. Therefore, it's your decision who you serve and how you serve. Whether you use your members as instruments unto righteousness or unto sin. It's up to you according to Romans chapter 6 verse 13. It's up to me. God's grace. So, So when we get to singing, let's sing about God's grace. Let's talk about this holy, holy, holy Lord God almighty. Holy God. Holy God. Really stepping it up tonight, ain't I? That high stuff, man. Tenor voice. I remember going to the University of Akron. I used to do uh, singing uh, some groups and stuff uh, at the uh, schools. And so my, my instructor said, you need to go to uh, with me this summer, you know, and I, I want to get you, uh, uh, you know, I want there's a panel of these professors, and I want you to sing in front of them. And, you know, they, I don't know what they do, really. I really don't get it. But anyway, I went there and I sang in front of about four different professors and they, they did this testing on me and they started saying, well, you know, this and this and that and this and here's your octave range and, you know, we feel that, you know, you, you need to really push your range a little bit so that you can be a tenor. Tenors make all the money. So they told me, tenors make all the money. You know, paparazzi? Wait, no, that's the paparazzi. <laughs> anyway, you know what I'm talking What's his name? Pavarotti, not Pavarazzi. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the wrong guy. Guys or gals, I don't know. But anyway, Pavarotti, yeah, that guy. He's a tenor, man. He made millions, you know. He said, and I thought, 
yes, I want to be a tenor so I can make millions. Well, now I'm starting off singing tenor here. You know, I'm trying to take their advice. But nonetheless, it doesn't seem to be increasing my pay at all around here. But nonetheless, <laughs> notice God's goodness. He goes on in verse 3 to say, His mercy and truth. His mercy and truth. Again, we're talking about God's goodness. He's so merciful to us. Um, How good is God to have shown us His mercy and truth, I guess? We could put it that way. Grace, of course, as we talked about just a moment ago, is, is, you know, getting what we don't deserve. You know, it's getting what we don't deserve. Grace is. Um, I deserve hell. God's grace says, nope, you don't get that. Uh Uh-uh. But His mercy says, I'm not going to get what I do deserve. Oh, I deserve hell. But you're not going to get that. God's grace says, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve, heaven. I messed that all up, didn't I? I'm going to give you heaven for grace, but then also I'm not going to give you hell for mercy. That's pretty good, isn't it? Isn't that nice? That's God. That's His goodness. Not only that, but we can can rest confidently in His Word knowing that God cannot lie. This book is true. Everything you read in it from cover to cover. I'm not saying that everything He says is truth because He also truly records lies in the book. Satan lied to Adam and Eve, but I guarantee you, you know exactly what he said because God never lies. And so when he says, this is what Satan said to Eve, you know that's exactly what he said. It was a lie, but God didn't lie. God never lies. According to Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So we know that we have a God that cannot lie. Truth reigns in his character and being. Therefore, when we sing songs, we ought to sing songs that emphasize the truth. Speak of His truth, His mercy. Boy, those are good topics. Psalm 119, 160 says, Thy word is truth from the beginning. Every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Finally, not only God's goodness, His grace, His greatness, but also our gratitude. You want to talk about what should we be singing about? Our gratitude, things that we're grateful for. Those are things that we need to be singing about. As we sing, let us thank God for what He's done in our life. How He saved us, how He separated us, how He sanctified us unto Himself. Now we get the opportunity, the privilege to live for Him now. We choose to do that. Not only that, but we have the privilege of watching God work and move in the lives of our children, in the lives of our families. We, we, We have the opportunity to be... Game changers, if you will. That's a term people like. Game changers in our culture and our society. People say, there's no way you can't do anything to fix our culture. Yes, you can. One soul at a time. Someone says, well, let's just go ahead and get together a big revival meeting. That's fine. Let's do it. I'm all for it. Let's work together. Let's witness the thousands at a time through the preaching of the Word of God. That's good. But let me tell you, the real change will come when individual Christians are making an impact in individuals' lives. That's when it really matters. Because not only does it stop with the gospel being given, but it continues now with the discipleship, one-on-one, encouraging and helping and moving and exhorting one another. It's so important. We need to go out where we're at. We've got to quit waiting for the big score and just go out and get one. One. Our gratitude. How grateful are you to God? You talk about your music. Does your music reflect your gratitude to God? You say, well, some of the music I listen to doesn't even talk about God. You ought to be very weary of that music. You know, when it's talking about how your dog got shot and how your girlfriend ran off and how your truck broke down and your shotgun misfired, 
I mean, you got, you got, listen to me, I'm telling you something. You better start asking yourself, does this Christ honoring music? Is it Christ honoring music? People say, well, it's different. You know, you can't get too fanatical about the Christian life. I mean, come on. I bet you'll be fanatical about it when you're laying on your deathbed. You know, when you're ready to die, it'll be important to you. But when we're living, it's not so important. It's not so important. I think to myself sometimes, will I be that guy? Listen to me. I'm not trying to scare anybody. Will I be that guy that one day goes to the doctor and finds out he's got cancer through his whole body and only has a month to live? I think about that stuff. Will I be that guy? And then I think, what have I done today that will make me feel a lot more secure on that deathbed if I only had four weeks to live? Did I do all I could today to be prepared for four weeks from now if I was going to die? And sometimes I think to myself, no, I didn't. What's the solution? Let's get with the program, man. Let's understand how serious this business is called the Christian life. And let's understand what God has done for us. And let's express our gratitude through practical living. It's not the living that brings the favor of God, but it certainly is the living that expresses the gratitude for what He's done for us already. Our gratitude. Christ on our music emphasizes some things. It emphasizes God's greatness. It emphasizes God's grace, His goodness, and it also emphasizes our gratitude. That's, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. What are we to sing? Those kind of things, about those kind of things. Number two, the character of Christ honoring music. Not just the content, but what's the character? Verses 4 through 6, we, we notice it says, <clears throat> Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. With trumpets and sound of cornet, make a joyful noise before the Lord, the King let the sea roar in the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Verses 4, 6, and 8. You could find the word joyful. Joyful. Notice, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. He goes on to say, make a joyful noise before the Lord. Verse 8. He says, let the hills be joyful together. It doesn't say joyless joyful we're to sing with joy in our hearts to the Lord that's not always easy but it's commanded yes. Amen. you know that's important to understand see that's what God desires and demands of us that we sing joyfully someone says but that's not very practical preacher because you got to understand in this world everybody's not as lucky as you Everybody doesn't have a good wife and wonderful family and nice car and uh, beautiful suit and awesome physical stamina and wonderful hairdo. And, you know, it doesn't have all those wonderful attributes and assets that you have. Wait a second. It doesn't matter, though, because God demands that we're joyful Amen. in our singing. No matter what we're going through, it doesn't matter what our situation or state is. He says, listen, I put that new song in your, your mouth, so let's hear it. And, and when you sing it, then, what are some of the characteristics and qualities that I ought to be noting? Well, we're asking ourselves when we talk about the character of Christ and honor and music, we're saying, how are we to sing? A, or number one, lighthearted. 
lighthearted. Again, joyful, not joyless. It may not be easy, as we said, but it's commanded. The burdens of life cannot be permitted to steal the joy that Christ has placed in us. And the joy that we have. You know, years ago when I was a kid, I may have had tons of homework. A test the next day. A bully was after me at school. It's hard to believe, isn't it, young men? But that's true. It happened, even to me. I remember coming home from school one day, and this kid was hanging out, and he was behind the, the bush there. And I walked around the corner, and he went, wham! Hit me right in the gut. I'd like to tell you that I just stood there. But I didn't. I fell over. Doubled up in pain. Then I got up and it was over. But anyway, but nonetheless, I, I'm just saying, no, it really wasn't. But I was scared to death. I mean, bullies and, I mean, as kids, all these things happen to you. Oh, there's bullying going on today. It's been going on forever. You know, come on. You have to learn to deal with it, you know. Somebody says, well, you shouldn't have to ever deal with that. Yeah, I know. And you shouldn't ever have to pay taxes either. But you do. But the fact is, is that we can't allow things to steal our joy. So I remember as a kid, and we were going to head on up to the, uh, you remember, um, there used to be a place, uh, not Cedar Point, but Joggle Lake. And uh, we go to Joggle Lake every once in a while. My dad, he had a, uh, worked at Goodyear, and we'd get to go to Joggle Lake. Well, I, I still remember, though, uh, the thought of, you know, here I am at school, maybe. I, I may have one of the worst days of my life just the day before. And like I said, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was... Just a mess. A test coming up the next day. A bully after me. Whatever. But man, I mean, I was laughing. I was screaming. I was jumping. I was running all around having the time of my life up there. As long as I was in the park, as long as I was preoccupied with those rides, I didn't think about that stuff. I was almost like just, I was just in a, in a new world. You want to know something? That's how it ought to be for believers. You know, the cares of the world can weigh us down. There's no doubt about that. None of us are superhuman. We're just flesh. But we have to be able to get to a place where God is seen and God is real and God is there to where when we lift our voice and praise to Him, the cares of the world roll off our back. You say, that's just impossible. I've never been there. The bottom line is this. You've got to get in the right place. You've got to get in His presence. There is joy and peace in the presence of God. Have you ever watched somebody that was dying or on their deathbed and they got peace? You ever seen that? And you're thinking, man, if I was laying there, there is no way in the world I'd have that peace. Maybe you never thought that, but I'm just saying, maybe you see, how does that happen? Because there comes a point in their life where they finally, I believe you get to the place where you finally depend on Him and you see Him the way you ought to. You're in His presence. Before you ever arrive there, you're already there with Him. And you can just rest now in the Lord. Now, the goal is to be like that every day of our life. That's what God wants for us. It's what He desires of us. He wants us to be in that place constantly, continually. And sometimes we just give in and say, that's impossible. And so we don't even fight for it. When all along God's saying, it's not only possible, but it's what I desire and demand of you. I want that kind of relationship with you. Lighthearted, though. Lighthearted. Spurgeon exhorts us. He says, Every tongue must applaud, and that with the vigor which joy of heart alone can arouse to action. As men shout when they welcome a king, so must we. Loud hosannas, full of happiness, must be lifted up. 
If ever men shout for joy, it should be when the Lord comes among them. Man, when we get to singing the praises of God, it ought to be lighthearted. You know, just, I mean, lighthearted, just the cares of the world off our shoulders, not burdened down. Not only should it be lighthearted, but it ought to be loud. It ought to be loud. When we sing, let it come from the depths of our soul and our heart. It may not just be through the motions, going through the motions. You're just doing what i got to do, the duty of it all. Man, the song service. I singing. Do all that singing at church. Man, it ought to be like, get to lift our voice and praise unto God. I mean, we got this, this content that's solid. I mean, we're singing about the goodness, the greatness, the, the grace of God. And man, we're doing it with a light heart. We're doing it loudly. John Wesley, he wrote, Sing lustily and with a good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep. But lift up your voice with strength, he says. We're not just singing some words in a melody. We're singing praises to the Lord and God who created all things. Our whole heart needs to praise Him. In Psalm 103, verse 1, we're told, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. All that is within me. You know, maybe sometimes, I don't know about you, but when, when I'm a little bit down and things aren't going that well, maybe, maybe even if, oh boy, heaven forbid, I have not maybe allowed the Word of God to saturate my soul as it ought to. Maybe I've not spent that time in true closeness with God. Oh, I went through my prayer list, but I didn't necessarily draw nigh to God. And sometimes when I get to singing, it's different. Well, there's a difference when we've been in His presence. There's a a difference, isn't there? When you've met with the Lord and then you start to lift your voice, it's not hard to lift it up. But it can seem like your heart weighs a million pounds and your voice is struggling to get out of your body if you also are the opposite. 2 Chronicles, Asa... Notice what Asa the king did. He, he led Judah to revival. Turn to 2 Chronicles, if you would. 2 Chronicles 15. We're going to close here in just a moment. Notice what happens here in 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 12. Again, there's not always been good kings around. At least uh, Judah had a few good ones. Israel had no good ones. Um, Again, I'm talking about after the split kingdom. But here we have Asa. He's one of the good ones. Notice what he does. 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 12. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. That whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death. Can you imagine that? Are you seeking the Lord today? No. You're dead. Welcome to Community Baptist Temple. I notice you're not singing very fervently. No, I'm just really not into all this. Goodbye. I mean, can you imagine? This is crazy, isn't it? Talk about legislating morality here. Never works, right? Well, let's see how it works. But anyway, that... Whosoever would not, the Lord's going to use, by the way, the Lord will legislate morality during the millennium. But nonetheless, 
that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. At least God's an equal opportunity employer. And they swear unto the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpet and with cornets. And all of Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with their whole desire. And he was found of them, and the Lord gave them rest round about. And I'll tell you what, the king had led his people back to God. And those people were found approaching God with a renewed vigor and a renewed vitality. How'd that happen? They got back to God. They got close to the Lord. And next thing you know, it wasn't a chore to lift their voice up. I mean, not only was the content of the message about God, not only was it His greatness and His goodness and and His grace, not only was it just their mere gratitude of all that God had done, but now they were able to do it with a vitality and a fervor because of their relationship now to the Lord. They came very boldly to God. They weren't timid. They weren't shy, were they? Sometimes we look around and there's somebody singing really loud and we're like, wow, he's trying to impress. Who's she trying to impress? Well, if they're trying to impress somebody, the Lord will take care of that. But man, why don't we just join in? Why don't we just get excited a little bit too and say, man, now I can sing a little louder and not have to be heard. Because that's what we always say. The reason why we don't sing so loud because we don't nobody hear us, right? Now you get some couple loud people in the congregation and they're doing all kind of parts and everything. You go, well, I'll jump in there too. I may not sound as good, but who cares? They'll never hear me now. The Bible says that uh, God teaches us that loud is good. Loud, He likes loud. Hey, I like when these kids get up here and start singing these courses loud. I like it. Now, I don't like when they start screaming. Some of them like to scream. You know, my God is so great, so strong, and so mighty. I don't like when they're like, my God is so I don't like that stuff. I mean, that is just, you know, come on now, guys. You know? You know, and that we're singing now. We're not just screaming, you know, for the sake of screaming. But, you know, you want them to be loud, you know? And, and we like it when we get in a group. I love to hear men sing. Don't you like to get, I, I go to, I've been to places where there's been, uh, you know, hundreds of men, hundreds and hundreds together. Man, they start lifting their voice up like at the men's conference. Man, it's awesome. I love that. Something about men singing. I, we love you ladies. Trust me, I have a mother, I love them. But I love to hear men sing. Love to hear men sing. Lifting their voices boldly, loudly. Second Chronicles 20:19 says, And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. A loud voice on high. There's a bunch of names in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 42. And it says, And the singers sang loud. <laughs> I, I, listen, if you're going to get up here and do a special, don't, don't get up here with the rest of the crowd and go, No, sing it out. If you're in a group, you better be able to lift your voice. And if you don't sound good, you probably shouldn't be up here. Well, I'd hate them to hear me. They may not want me up there. Well, then maybe we need to know that before you get up there. Sing loud enough we can hear you. But lift it up, man. Blend your voices. 
Now, we do have mics. You don't have to scream like those little kids. But nonetheless. Now, so we see here, lighthearted, loud, and finally, large. It kind of goes together, but our music need not be limited to human instruments alone. You know, there, there are certain faiths and groups that believe that you can't use instruments. But yet in the Bible, they used instruments. I was, I, I, you know, anything, anything that we have can be used for wrong. You know, the devil will try to exploit every single instrument there is in the world. And so someone says, we'll never have that. We'll never use that. We'll never have... Well, what? He said, we well, can't have no guitar on stage. Can you have a harp? You know, that's a stringed instrument too. I'm not trying to be, you know, I'm just saying biblically and scripturally, there's all kinds of instruments. There were percussion instruments. There were all kinds of things they used in, in the new, in the, in the, in the, I mean, obviously, you know, you got to be careful how you use things because you don't want to emphasize flesh. You want to make sure it's the spirit of God. Amen. Then you take the content and you take the, the character of the music, you put it together and it ought to, it ought to equal out. It ought to be the same. It should be two separate messages. It should be one message. But nonetheless, this thing can be large. It doesn't have to be just human instruments. A variety of instruments can be used. In the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 30, verse 21, the Bible says, And the children of Israel that were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with, with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with loud instruments unto the Lord. Now that's awesome, isn't it? I like loud instruments. I was uh, at, at Cato's graduation the other day, and they had some loud instruments. They had a whole orchestra. And as these guys were all filing in, in their caps and their gowns, the orchestra was playing. Man, it was filling that whole huge auditorium. It sounded awesome. Man, loud music. You know, not so loud that we can't hear the, 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 the harmony, I mean the uh, melody. Not so loud that all you hear is a bunch of instruments doing whatever they want to do, but they're working together. They're harmonizing and they're, they're emphasizing the... the um, um, i I got I to get my mind back to the actual technical aspect of music. The um, melody line, because we know that melody is, correlates with the spirit, as we talked about in the past. But nonetheless, so we see that. Now large. So Psalm, Psalm 33.3 says, Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with... A loud noise. Guitar, piano, maybe other instruments, you think? What do you think about having an orchestra at Community Baptist Temple one day? Yeah. I like it. I'm, I'm excited about it. Someone says, man, I don't know about all those instruments. That could get pretty rocked out. Well, we'll work on that, okay? We'll do our best to keep it Christ-honoring. But we got a lot to be grateful for, don't we? And uh, we need to allow that joy to enter into the worship of God. We serve a God larger than life itself. He is life. We need to rejoice and we need to praise and we need to sing unto Him accordingly. Let's make sure that when we lift our voice, we do it the way God intended it to be done. The content, the character of it all. And make sure that we do it in a Christ-honoring fashion. Because that what, that's what honors God these things. So let's pray. Father, we come to you. Lord, we thank you again for all that you do for us. Lord, we are truly a needy people. 